If you want to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to continue our study through the book of Ephesians this morning, looking at verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, this morning looking at verses 2 and 3. Uh, for the sake of context, I'm going to read through verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 6, look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of and instruction of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is clear with us. We thank you, Lord, for the, the clarity of these commands to the church. I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us in such a way that you have made all things clear, uh, that you have given grace and creation, that it is evident that you are the creator. I thank you, Father, that by our conscience and knowledge we know that we have rebelled and, and sinned against you. I thank you, Father, you did not leave us just with the knowledge of your creation and our sin, but you spoke to the prophets and through the apostles, and that you have given grace in your word through the nation of Israel and your work and faithfulness to proclaim to all creation your goodness and your kindness and your love. I thank you for your faithfulness to your promises in sending your Son. I thank you, Father, for the gospel and the clarity in which we can know and understand through these letters and the, the history of the Gospels. I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace as we seek to know these things and understand them, not just to know what to do, Father, but to know who you are and who we are before you, and to understand the grace of the Gospel, to live it out. I pray that as this is far more than we could ever accomplish, you would be faithful to do so in the hearts of your people this morning, for years and generations to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we look at the book of Ephesians chapter 6, I want to remind you again, uh, this comes in the context of a greater letter, the, the letter to the Ephesians. So as you look at your Bible and you see Ephesians, this is not a letter about the Ephesians. This is a letter written to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. The letter is broken down in two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 write doctrinal truth, the realities of the gospel, what God has accomplished, God's plan for all creation, and that has been manifest in Christ, how his people are saved, why his people are saved, what his people will look like because they are saved. And then at the shift in chapter 4, Paul says that we would walk in a manner worthy of this calling, the calling that is explained in Ephesians 1 through 3. As Paul writes this letter, he then shifts to help the Ephesians to understand if this is the truth as it is, and you are Christ as you claim to be, then you ought to live in a way that declares that. And so in the book of Ephesians, we have then from chapter 4 on, clear instruction about what it means to live in Christ. And as we looked at last week, and we'll continue to look at this uh, coming week, and maybe many, many weeks to come, no, probably just one more, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, give clear instruction about the Christian family. What is the Christian family to look like? What should be the goal of parents? What are the commands of children? What is it that God intends for a Christian family to live like in light of the gospel? 
And so we see here, as we looked at last week, verse 1, it is addressed to children. They are commanded to follow an authority, that is, they are to obey their parents. This is to happen in the arena of the gospel, under Christ. It is to be in the Lord. And it is to be so because this is right. It is what is morally good, what has been designed by God. And then we see in verse 2, Paul affirms, as the authors of Scripture often do, uh, by quoting and proclaiming where God has already proclaimed. So Paul affirms the truth of this, the rightness of this, the grace of this, by quoting from the Old Testament. And he quotes, verse 2, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. So this morning as we look at these two verses that are quoting the Old Testament, we're going to look at it in, in three different frames of mind, or three different statements that you can see on your handout. First, this is a command that communicates a humbling truth for all people. This is a command that communicates a humbling truth for all people. Second, in these two quick verses... This is also a command that uh, proclaims or communicated compassion and clarity for Israel, God's chosen people. This is a command that communicates compassion and clarity for Israel. And then lastly, this is a command that fulfill, is fulfilled and we might be faithful in Christ. A command that fulfilled that we might be faithful in Christ. So let's look first at the command in the context of all creation, this is a command for the humbling truth for all people. Honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. As Paul quotes this, he could have been quoting one or two places in the Old Testament. He could have been quoting from, well, or other places, but the two primary would be Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, list out what we commonly call the Ten Commandments. They are recounted, as Danny read for us in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second law, or the second telling of the law. And we'll get into that a little bit. But Deuteronomy recounts these commandments. In chapter 5, you could look at verses 1 through 21, and we see them listed out. You might be familiar with these commandments, depending upon uh, how you grew up, and, and what was taught to you, or what you studied. Uh, but they, in summary, not in full, you could look at those passages in full, but they, in summary, are commandment number one, that you would have no other God before God, before me. Two, that you would make no carved image, no image of God. Three, that you would not take the Lord's name in vain. Four, that you shall remember and keep the Sabbath holy. Five, that you would honor your mother and father. Six, that you would not murder. Seven, that you shall not commit adultery. 8. That you shall not steal. 9. That you will not bear false witness or lie. And 10. That you shall not covet. And these commandments are commonly uh, known in society, even in, in the United States, uh, because of the, the Judeo-Christian ethics of those who found our country. Uh, they're often posted in uh, courthouses, as these are primary laws that stand before man. And I think that is wise for us to recognize as people, that these are, in, in one sense, primary laws that stand before man, that make clear uh, what is true. The Ten Commandments, as the whole Word of God is written for a purpose, it communicates something. It communicates the holiness of God and our failure before Him. The Ten Commandments, as the whole Word of God, communicate the holiness of God and our failure before Him. 
Now, there's a popular evangelist. His name is Ray Comfort. Uh, he is a very faithful man in many things, and he uses the Ten Commandments as he evangelizes. Many of you are familiar with the way. He calls it the way of the master. Uh, but it is using the Ten Commandments to clarify those two things, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And so it's the common practice of, of Ray Comfort to use these verses to summarize and to ask people a question such as, uh, do you believe you're a good person? Right? So the question is, who do you believe you are? And the answer in our society, because the majority of our society would hold to the understanding that people are primarily good. Bad things happen to them and that makes them bad. And so in our society, when you ask that question, are you a good person? People generally, kind of coyly, yeah, I think I'm a good person. And then they list out reasons why. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm not like really horrible because I can imagine really horrible people. And Ray Comfort uses the Ten Commandments to help clarify, uh, well, who, who are you really? And so he asks questions based upon these commandments. Have you ever lied? Even a small lie, a little one. And the answer to that, any human that is honest, is yes. And then he says, have you ever stolen anything? Even a little thing, maybe a paper clip from work, anything. Have you ever stolen, taken something that wasn't yours for yourself? And if, again, if you're a human and you've lived more than a few years of life, the answer would probably be yes. And then he asks a little more difficult, a little more invasive question. Have you ever committed adultery? Some might answer no, some might answer yes. And then he clarifies, as Jesus does, uh, adultery is not just the physical action, but the reality of your heart. That God looks more than just the man, but what is inside the man is heart. And his heart is what reveals who he is. And so Jesus says, if you have ever lusted after someone, then in your heart you are guilty of adultery. Very wisely, very graciously, in love for these people to help them understand who they are, then Ray Comfort tells them, by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving adulterer. Do you believe you are a good person? If that is what could define you. It's very helpful because it clarifies quickly the holiness of God, where you stand before Him, and the reality of your sin. It could be added, the fifth commandment, have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever chosen to disobey? As we looked at last week, disobedience to parents is not a light matter. It is a revealing matter. As the, all of the commandments are revealing, it reveals man's fallenness before God. And so in the commandment, just as have you ever lied, have you ever stolen, you might think, well, those are little things. Have you committed adultery? That's pretty big, but let's be clear about how that applies to all people. You might take this one and go, well, that wouldn't work with people because who hasn't been dishonest to their parents? Which is the point. Disobedience to parents is evidence of your fallen position before God. The commands of God stand before all people as clarity of who Christ is, who God is, what God has done in holiness must be worshipped. He is holy. And you stand before Him condemned. As you look at the Ten Commandments, you can notice one through four declare the holiness of God in how you should worship Him, how God is to be worshipped, who He is, and that He is holy. Five through ten then go on to discuss 
not just your relationship before God as He is holy, but sinfulness between men. The actions of a heart that doesn't worship God and doesn't see God as holy results in responses towards other people that are sinful and unjust. And so He gives these, these following commandments as evidence of our failure. Because none of us can look at them and say, we have done them faithfully and fully. And so the commandments exist to make clear before man that God is holy and you are not. The whole word does so, but these particular commandments, and as Paul quotes it, he quotes it as he has said, for this is right, because this displays what is right. This displays what is morally good. This displays what is perfect and beautiful and what is the design of God and family. And our lives display that we are sinful. We fail. We fall short. It is a clear form of diagnosis, diagnosing the problem, and display, to display who God is. Just in these Ten Commandments is diagnosed who we are before God and displays who God is. That He is holy. He is above all. He is to be worshipped as all. He stands over all. And that we have fallen. We have rebelled. We cannot live as holy and right before Him. The commands are not arbitrary just to humble everyone. The commands are clear that you would be humbled because all things have been created for the glory and the pleasure of God. If you look at Colossians, which is a parallel verse to what we're looking at this morning, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Same command, same truth, writing to the Colossians. Uh, maybe they had less understanding of the Old Testament. Maybe Paul just, in summary, was being more quick and to the point with them. Maybe he saw different issues with them as the Ephesians want to know, well, why do I have to do this from Scripture? Maybe the Colossians are more concerned about experience. There could be many reasons why Paul states it differently here. But in God's grace, he has recorded both Colossians and Ephesians, which are similar, and declares the same truth with various words. And so we see in Colossians, this pleases the Lord. We see in Ephesians, this is rooted in the truth that he has always proclaimed. That we would honor our mother and father, and that it may go well with you and live long in the land. It helps us as we seek to understand this. What does it mean that this is a promise? This commandment is given with a promise that you would live long in the land. Many Proverbs communicate the same way. That my son, listen to my voice, obey my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Throughout the Proverbs, we see that if you raise a child in the way of the Lord, then he will not depart from it. There are promises of saying, if you are pursuing what is right, God generally blesses that. Why? Because it pleases him. It is the design of God. It is what we look at as natural and right, that children would obey their parents. It's a humbling relationship. It's the first of all humbling relationships. You have never been more dependent upon anyone than you were your parents. You have never been more dependent on anyone than, they, than you were your parents. And if your parents failed in that, if you were abandoned, if you were left alone, if they were not faithful, there should be great clarity, clarity in your mind. And even the pain of knowing that is clear, that that is not right. It is not the way it ought to be. 
The commandments are there to naturally display the glory of God and our need and dependence upon Him. The commandments naturally fall into as cultures and societies live in such a way that honors God and glorifies God uh, that things function better. Nothing functions perfect because of sin, but they function better. I think we wrestle with this, and, and we'll get to it, but we wrestle with, well, it says this promise, does that mean if my children obey me, they're going to live longer than other children? Well, let's, we'll, we'll get to that in a little while. But what it does mean, as we look at all of Scripture, God the Creator, who created all things, knows how things ought to be used, does He not? And when you use things the way they were meant to be used, they don't break as easily, and they don't get destroyed, and you don't get hurt. It's a running mantra in our house. We say it often. Use things for what they were meant to be used for, right? I think of it often when I'm in my workshop and I need to hammer something and a wrench is closed. I hear Lauren's voice saying to the children, use things for what they're meant to be used for so they aren't broken. And I stop and I get a hammer. Sometimes I go, you know what? I just need to move on with this. I'm going to nail it in with a wrench. <laughs> but why? Why does my wife say that to our children? Because the things are designed to do something, they function best at it. Every man, every woman who does something knows when they have the right tool for it, it's that much easier. right? I don't just call a crafty person when I need help with plumbing. I was going to mention people's names, but I want you all to start calling my peeps. So I call guys who are plumbers, right? I got electrical questions. I don't just call somebody who knows how to turn a light switch on. I call electricians. I want people who know the tools and what they're meant to be used for. Well, the creator is the one who has created all things. And he knows what the family is for. And it pleases him when it works in the way it should. And it displays his glory. This is the truth for all people. This is what is declared by God for all people and is evident. It is clarity on who you are, where you stand before Him, and clear on His grace and the design of His grace. It is not arbitrary. It is not just rules and, and reasons of this is how we do things and we just do it because He said. We do it because He said and He said it because it is right. We use things for what they were made for, not just for the results, but to be faithful to the Maker. Because he has designed with purpose. To live in such a way gives God glory. It displays his design. And the truth of it teaches his people. And God has always functioned in this way. To be very faithful. To make clear what is true. As you look at this large portion of your old. Your, your old. Maybe it's old. I don't know. It's old all the way around. Uh, as you look at this large portion of the Bible. That we call the Old Testament written under the Jews, there was great purpose behind this. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire Old Testament displays the holiness of God and the need of man. These commands are not arbitrary, nor is the history recorded in the Old Testament. It is intentional to display the glory of God and the need of man. The original context of this command is part of God's grand display to all creation. His holiness and man's sin and their need for that. So look with me at our next point on the handout as we think about this command, Paul quotes, honor your mother and father that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. It is a command that communicated compassion and clarity for Israel. This command is one to communicate compassion and clarity for Israel. 
Daniel gave us, uh, Danny, sorry. Danny is offended if you call him Daniel. Daniel is offended if you call him Danny. Uh, so be clear, okay? Daniel, Danny. Both grown men, both feel like children if you call them the opposite. So be clear. Daniel, Danny. The context of Deuteronomy that Danny shared with us uh, means the second lots, the retelling. So the people of Israel are entering into the promised land. Uh, they are preparing to go in to this land in which had been promised to them. And it is being declared to them that they, these are the promises. This is what God commanded. Because this is 40 years after these things came. The, the parents of these children have all died or are going to be dead before they enter the land. They've wandered through the wilderness after these commands have been given for 40 years. And they are living outside the land that has been promised as they wander around waiting to go into the land. And then as they are preparing, Moses stops to remind them the truths of what God has already said. He is proclaiming to them again the law in which he has already given. That's where Deuteronomy comes from. It's second law or second giving, recording. So Moses proclaims this. As you look at it, the passage we read this morning was in Deuteronomy 6. If you look at Deuteronomy 5, there is the recounting of the Ten Commandments and the history of Israel, what God had done and accomplished. And he's reminding them as they're preparing to go into the land, his promises and his communication to them. If you look at Deuteronomy 5, 28 through 33, I'm going to read it for you. You could jot it down or turn there quickly. It says, And the Lord heard your words. You spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of his people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in what they have spoken. Oh, that they had this heart always to fear me and to keep my commandments, that it may go well with them and their descendants forever. What the people had spoken is, let Moses hear the law. We are too terrified of the presence of God. They were too terrified, not by God and all that he is, but just his presence manifest as he proclaimed the truth. As mountains shook and flames went and smoke flew, they said, we can't handle this. This is too much for us. We want to serve and honor God. You tell us what he has said. And God says it is right for them to say this and that their hearts would always stay there. But in verse 30, he says, Go and say to them, Return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell the whole commandment, the statutes, the rules that you shall teach them. And they may go and do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord God commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in the way of the Lord that he has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess it. God proclaims to them the clarity of his promises and what he has purposed. He recounts for them the law by Moses. He tells them of the history as Moses was given the law and he recorded it to them. And he's saying they need to remember this. They need to think about it as they go into the land. He has recounted all of this history, all of the commandments, proclaiming to this next generation moving into the land. And that is the context in which we come to Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. What is commonly called from verse 4, the Shema, or the, the great commandment proclaimed. If you remember from your Bible reading in the Gospels, as Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment? What's the one that has to be done? Jesus' answer is Deuteronomy 6, 4. 
that God is one and you shall love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, all your mind, all you are. He communicates to them in the Gospels, as you see in language they will understand. You must love God with everything. That is the greatest commandment. That is the commandment everything else flows out of. And Jesus goes on to say, for the sake of knowledge, the second is like it, that you would love others as you love God. That you would be kind to them. You would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so as your whole heart seeks to love God, remember one through four of the commandments, you would love others as you love yourself because you love God. What fulfills or makes clear those commandments? Jesus summarizes, not because the summary is sufficient, because it is efficient, right? You can't remember everything. You can't remember the whole Old Testament. You can't record it all through your mind. You need a summary to be efficient. It is not sufficient. You need more than that. And praise God that he has given more than that. You don't have to live your life just thinking, I've got to love God and love people. It's all I know. That's all I've got. I'm just going to say that over and over again in my head. He's been gracious. He's given you so much more. And as we look at the Old Testament, he proclaims to us the truth of who he is through the people of Israel. And what God's people and how God's people lived before him through the people of Israel. So look with me at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. I'm going to read it again for us. He says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's sons by keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I command you, that the days of your life, that they may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then what Jesus says is the great and first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're going to continue to look at this next week as we talk about a parent's command and discipline and instruction. But here is Israel is commanded to keep this, what is the greatest commandment, to remember all of those commandments that have been spoken. What is the first thing they're told to do with this? To teach it to their children. In God's design, the family is the root of society. It is the root of all things. It is parents and children that make all society to flourish, that bring all society forward under the grace and design of God. When he is followed, that is more fruitful and more faithful. That's just reality. I, I'm not going to quote the statistics of science and studies and sociology and psychology and all the conclusions that man come to when they study this and say, you know what's best for a kid? To raise up in a home that is disciplined and structured with loving parents that are male and female. There's plenty of studies I could find and quote that would say that. But you could find studies to quote and say whatever you want. Because man finds philosophy that fulfills him. What God declares is that's his design. 
And in his design, what is declared is this is what must come immediately. Your children are the first line of your ministry proclaiming the truth of God's grace to them. Why? Why do you instruct and discipline your children? What is your purposes in that? What are you seeking to accomplish? What do you want? Danny pointed many of them out this morning, right? You don't want to be the one that goes, do you see that kid in the store? Out of control. You don't want to be the one at the park that as Lauren and I were eavesdropping because someone was speaking very loud at a restaurant yesterday about the child that kept attacking their child and they just glared at the other mom, grabbed their child and left. And Lauren says, why don't they just go up to that mom? The poor lady's probably over here, doesn't know what's going on. Maybe she has six kids because they're just like prolific creators. And she doesn't know that their second son's over there bruising somebody because he's just a brute that needs Jesus. And she might want to help him. Now in society we go, I got to protect my kid from that horrible mother and her horrible child. And get them out. Is that why we parent? To protect our children from the horrible other people. What is the motivation? So that you're not the horrible parent? So that you can be the righteous parent? Or just because life's frustrating when your kids don't listen? What's the motivation? What is it here? That the generations would proclaim the glory of God. The biblical motivation for parenting is not about your frustration. It's not about your position before men. It's not about getting through these 18 years so you can finally be grandparents. It's not about you. It's about the generations worshiping and praising God. Children are commanded to obey their parents and honor Him because it is right in God's design and because parents lay a foundational ground for declaring the holiness of God and the need of man. And here in Deuteronomy, when we have the greatest of commandments, the first place in which that is said to be acted out is teach it to your children. Proclaim it to them. Let it be generations. And surrounded around that, what is very clear is this must be on your heart. I said it last week and it bears saying again, you cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot have expectations on your children that they would be dependent and faithful to God if you live your life rebellious and doing what you want. You cannot live to your children and teach them to keep all of these things, all of these things with all of your life if all, as you walk and as you talk and as you lay down and you rise up and you write things on your house, those things have nothing to do with the Lord. You cannot pass on to the next generation what you do not possess. And so he clearly commands, not for their sake, not for the sake of their children primarily, but because of the glory of God and he deserves to be praised for his creation. Because he is the one that designed hummingbirds. He is the one who has made all things. He is the one that is that we stand in awe of. Not because a hummingbird can swing its wings like 180 times a second. Because he didn't do that by his own strength. How does he do that? By the glory of the creator who made him. And so we then focus our attention on the glory of God. Not every passing distraction. Because we long for God to be glorified. And in Israel we see this was often the truth. There were people in Israel who longed for God to be glorified. In Deuteronomy, we see, he says, oh, that this would always be their heart. Why does God say that? 
He knows it's not always going to be their heart. Remember, the purpose of Israel is the same of all of Scripture. It is a giant portrayal of the holiness of God and the failure and sin of man. Look with me at Joshua 24. It's a, a very popular verse. We, it might be one you write on your walls and you write on frontlets and you even get tattooed on your body. As for me and my house, we are going to do what? Serve the Lord. It is a popular verse for parents to go, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're doing it. We're tatting it. We're buying shirts about it. We're yelling it at our kids. We're putting it on the back of our car. Everything we own is to serve the Lord. We got this. Now, I want to point you back to the context of that very statement in which we hold to. In Joshua 24, the people of Israel, the children who are moving into the land, have done so, and now the land is going to be divided. This is the same generation in which Moses proclaimed the truth to. And as they're preparing to go into the land, Joshua, again, as the leader now, comes before them and tells them, you must be clear about what you're doing. You've got to understand this. And so they say, yes, we are going to serve him. Joshua 24:14. it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. And in faithfulness, put away the gods of your fathers, what they served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your father that they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people of Israel go on. We're going to do it. We're doing it. We're serving the Lord. This is what we are about this is for all generations. We heard Moses, Joshua. We're hearing you. We've got this. Joshua 24, 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm and consume you after having done good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, and you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. There is a witness. He said, they say in their own power, No, we can do this. We will accomplish this. And Joshua warns them, You are not able to do this. God is holy, and you are not. You are promising to do things that you have already failed to do. And you're thinking, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to accomplish what I couldn't before. And you're saying, I choose this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. And Joshua says, you can't because he's holy and righteous. And I say, no, 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 Joshua. We're not like our parents. No, no, no. Our parents say, oh, they were fools. We've got this. It appears to me in that statement, if they made it, which they didn't, it's not recorded, you've already dishonored your parents. You're failing in your self-will that you're going to accomplish it. I'm not going to be a fool like mom and dad. How many of you have said, I'm not going to do things like them, and then you find yourself saying the same phrases, like use it what it's meant to be used for or you'll break it. Right? I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Both are lies. Well, one at least is a lie. You 
might in your own self-will say, I could accomplish this, I could do this. But God's purpose in Israel is not to show a nation that is holy and perfect and can do this. His purpose in Israel is to proclaim that even if God were to take one man who trusted him and had faith in him, who, dependent upon, who was dependent upon him in such a way that he left everything he knew just on the promise of God, that one man being Abraham, if that one man had such faith that he trusted God would fulfill a promise as he waned and failed and went back and did what God said and God gave him a child, not when he was in his 40s, when his wife is 90, he's 100. The word of God says he was as good as dead when God fulfilled the promise. So if God took that one man and then made a whole nation from that man and they were perverted and possessed by all kinds of other things god drew them out he made them he created them he gave them the laws he gave them the structure he gave them everything they need they had not only the ten commandments in their courthouses they had courts under the rule and reign of god by the judges they had not just a president with protections they had god as their king reigning over them what would they do they'd ask for a different king they'd ignore the laws They'd go into complete chaos. And as they would be aware, they are not the perfect nation. Why? Because every year and month after month, the blood of animals would be spilt all over their holy things. They would not walk saying, I'm good with God and things are fine. They would always be aware they have failed before God and they live in sin. And something must die as a result. The history of Israel is not a grand declaration that if all nations lived like Jeremiah 29:11, all nations would be blessed and holy. It is a grand declaration that no nation of man will ever live for the glory of God because God is holy and man is sinful. They cannot accomplish this. They cannot do it. They were told that and they were reminded that again and again, as every animal died. Not every animal, but lots of animals. Brought to the temple to die. The Old Testament is not a declaration to us if we had the willpower to return to be a nation under God. That we could do all things. It is a declaration to us, no matter the willpower and the organization of man. They will always be dependent upon him because of their sin. And rebellion and what does he instruct them start this at home make it known make it known that you must depend fully upon God you must love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and know that what you have done is not by your own hands you did not build this you did not make this you did not find this and build it yourself it has been given to you by the grace of God and you must remember that. That is the commands to Israel. It is the purpose of Israel. It is a grand declaration, lest we be confused, that we can do something that will cause us to be holy and righteous before God on our own. That command was for Israel. It is not that we would build a great nation that would finally glorify God. It is a declaration that even the nation that was built cannot and will not glorify God because of their sin they must depend upon the promise the promise of a messiah the promise that they would be made right and what might naturally come to your mind as it did to many jews after jesus came why then 
Why all the law? Why the Old Testament? Why this grand display before man? I've, I've tried to proclaim to you why that is, but I wanted to proclaim even more. And it's why Paul includes this command in Ephesians. Why we look back to say, the God who always is, who is always faithful, is always right, is always just, is always moral, as Danny taught us, Daniel, the grown man, Daniel Nunez, taught us just a few weeks ago that God is unchangeable. He, he is not a God who is fickle. He is a God who is faithful. And the law was not a fickle decision. It was a faithful decision that all mankind, the Jews, and now us, the Gentiles, might know his faithfulness. A command that fulfilled that we might be faithful in Christ. The command was fulfilled, all commands, that we might be faithful in Christ. The law cannot justify. This is Paul's writing uh, to the Galatians, where there are many Jews also, and he's writing to clarify to these Galatians, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. So he's making clear, we are Jews by birth. We're those who know the law. We're those that do, got Deuteronomy 6 our whole life. Our parents were all about the doorpost and putting it before us and keeping it on us. We're Jews. We know what's there, right? Our parents were shopping at not-of-this-world Jewish style. And they, they bought all the right things and put all the right things in place. He says, but we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There is not enough knowledge of what is right to make you righteous. You must depend upon God. The law was not given so that you could follow what is right and be righteous. It is given so you could see what is righteous and learn that you are not right. That you must depend upon Him. And you think, why then? Why, why the law? Well, the Jews have a long history that make it clear the need for the Messiah. And it's declared to all of us. The law will clarify our need. It did for them, and it does for us. Galatians 3, 21 through 29. This, is then the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, the righteous would, righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, imprisoned until the coming faith to be revealed. First, the law was your prisoner. It showed, or rather, it imprisoned you. It showed you are enslaved to sin. The law declared through the Old Testament to Israel, it declared you're in sin. You have to continue making sacrifices. Things aren't made right. This goes on and on and on. You're imprisoned in it. So one, the law declared to everyone, you are imprisoned by sin. Second, verse 24 of Galatians chapter 3 so then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all God, sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
It's much more history than this, but I'm just going to state it quickly and plainly, and I'd encourage you to study your Bible that you can understand this quick summary. Abraham is the example that he trusted God by faith. That before the covenants of Israel and all of those things to show the faithlessness of man, Abraham trusted God by faith. And he says, all mankind that trusts in Christ do so under the same as Abraham by faith. The law was not meant to save them. It was meant to clarify their need to trust by faith like Abraham, completely dependent upon God. And so it says, then we are heirs of that promise. Everything was bound under sin, and the law was a teacher. It declares what is needed. Now, sometimes you go to the law, and this is what you do. You're, you're trying to, you use the law like a rubric, and you want to say, I, I want to prove that I am just, right? So you, like you were in school, I don't know if you did this, it's good practice. Before I did any assignment, I looked at the rubric, and I said, how are they graded? What's the grade going to be based on? So now I have the rubric on one side. My assignment on the other, I'm going to make sure I meet all of those points. Why? Because I want to do as little work as possible and get as large of grade as possible. That's my goal. I don't want to do a bunch of extra work that she's not going to grade or he's not going to grade. I want to know what's required of me so I can accomplish it. That's a good teacher. They're doing that. Students would often come to me when I was a teacher and they would say, Mr. Dietrich, how could you give me an F? How could you fail me? And it was one of my favorite questions because I would say, oh, son. I don't give grades, I just report grades. And you failed yourself. Because that's a teacher's job. I lay out what is required of you, and you are there to fulfill it. I don't give you a grade, I don't look at you and go, I like you, I'm gonna give you an F. I give the assignment, you maybe do your best, or maybe you try hard, and then I give you an honest assessment of where you are. Maybe you tried your best, you still failed, bro, you gotta try harder. You gotta, you gotta fix some things. This isn't the Ten Commandments. This is just a, a paragraph essay about the history of the U.S. You can do this. I got faith in you. Even a fallen, depraved human can do it, right? I'm trying to help my students. God's trying to help you. He's trying to make clear for you. You have failed. The law is your teacher. The law comes before you in love and tells you where you're at. The law is not there to tell you, look, you've done awesome. You've accomplished this. You got it. The law exists as a teacher to give you an honest assessment of where you're at. And if you are a human, where you're at is in sin before God. But he says the teacher now is no longer necessary in giving us an assessment of where we are at. Because where do we stand? In Christ. The law has fulfilled its purpose in making clear the sinfulness of man and promising the coming of the Messiah. And you stand now where? Not before the teacher saying, look, I don't give the grades, I just report them, and you failed. You stand before the faithful creator who has proclaimed, I am here in abundant grace that you might depend on Christ. And Christian, if your hope is in Christ, that is where you stand. You stand not before God that he is condemning you, but you stand before God that he is clarifying for you, your hope is in Christ. You rest in Christ. You stand like Israel should have stood before their children and say, place your hope fully in Christ. I'm not here to judge you and to tell you you're righteous or unrighteous. I am here to clarify for you, you are unrighteous and you need to rest your hope in Christ. It is the job of evangelism, discipleship, and parenting, which is a strange combination of both. And so we live then in a Romans 8 world. 
Look with me at Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law, it indeed cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you remember the purpose of this commandment? In Ephesians, that this commandment is given because it is right, and as you honor your mother and father, what will happen? The faithfulness of God is displayed in your life. You will live long in the land. You will dwell in the land. What is declared in Colossians, as you obey your parents, you live in the commands of Christ, what happens? It pleases him. He is pleased by it. And notice what Paul says in Romans. Because of Christ, if your hope is in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. The law has fulfilled its purpose. It has declared to all mankind, you are broken and sinful. It is not reporting, or rather it is not giving a grade. It is reporting your grade. You have failed. The, the law could never bring about righteousness. A dependence to say, I will do what God has commanded. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The echo from the law is no, you cannot. Because he is holy. And if you are determined in the flesh that you will do all he has said, you will fail. And he will judge you. He will rightly give you what you have asked for and what you deserve. Judgment in the flesh. But he says Christ has come that you might not live in the flesh anymore. That you might not live designed by your own law or by God's law in saying, I can attain a righteousness that will bring me forgiveness. I can attain a righteousness that will justify me. I can attain. No, the statement is you cannot. The law was meant to imprison you in sin because sin is where you were. You were in a prison of your own making that you did not know of, and the law told you. The law is a teacher to make clear to you, you cannot do this on your own. You must hear and depend upon the promises of God. And Christ has come and fulfilled the law that you no longer live under the commandments of Israel, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, a woman or a man, a slave or free, a Scythian, a barbarian, a Mariettite, a Hamitian, a Menophian, whatever you are, if you are in Christ. You stand under no law to condemn you, but the work of Christ to praise you, let's go, to praise you uh, because of his work, because you live for him. So while in the flesh you cannot please God, in Christ what comes about? The pleasure of God in your life. The promises fulfilled in your life. The faithfulness of God declared that peace and life and that God is pleased in Christ. You're freed by grace from condemnation. You are freed from the rule of the law and live by the Spirit. 
Your hope is not that you can do what God has said. It is that you will depend on God faithfully as he has said. And in Christ, as he has promised and fulfilled, that you would be made righteous. Don't set your mind to the things of the flesh. Don't set your mind on that I can accomplish everything I want and still be okay with God. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. All things exist for the glory of God. Let me decipher my life under the authority of God, by the grace of God, completely dependent upon the righteousness of Christ. Let me read a quote from a a more faithful and and better man who is now with Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones expresses it this way, as we look at this commandment, are we to say that if we raise up our children right, they're going to live to a hundred? He said, does that mean that if I am a dutiful son or daughter, I'm of necessity going to live to a great age? No, that does not follow. But the promise certainly means this, that if you want to have a blessed life, a full life, under the benediction or the blessing of God, observe this commandment. He may choose to keep you for a long time on this earth as an example and illustration, but however old you may be when you leave this world, you will know that you are under the blessing and the good hand of God. We must not regard these things in a mechanical manner. What it is meant for is to convey that God is very well pleased with people who observe his commandments. And if we set ourselves to observe the commandments, and this one in particular, for the right reason, complete dependence upon Christ, then God will look down with pleasure upon us and will smile upon us and bless us. Let us thank God for such a faithful promise if your hope is in christ you no longer live in the flesh with a heart against god i'm not here to convince you this morning children to obey your parents or parents to seek to have children who understand the truth to honor and obey god i'm here to proclaim the truth in what he has said and i believe because of the word of god if his spirit dwells in you you don't hear that with hostility You long to fulfill his commands because you long for his pleasure and for him to be glorified. You long that you would live long in the land because you want to be in the land proclaiming his name, knowing that one day, forever, you will stand before him as he will say to you, because of Christ, not the law, because of Christ, my good and faithful servant, it is pleased with you and not condemnation, If you don't have that hope, if you hear me preaching this this morning and you think, that's not how I've understood life. It is not the Word of God that has dictated my understanding of righteousness and justice, salvation, what makes good people and bad people. I would encourage you to go to the Word of God, to ask whoever invited you, uh, to talk to those who are in community group with you, those who you know, and go to the Word of God and have clarity on who Christ is. He has been faithful. He has made it known in creation. He's made it known not in just those few select passages I chose this morning, but in all of his word that we must depend upon him. It is only faith in Christ that will save us. If we are going to live for anything, let us live for that which gives us life, Christ and Christ alone. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. We thank you, Lord, that we can live completely dependent upon you with knowledge. I thank you, Father. We know that all man is dependent upon you. There is no life, there is no breath, there is no creation without the upholding of your hand. We know, Father, that all things exist for Christ. Through him and for him and by him they exist. 
And Father, we know that your church is to be the pinnacle of that proclaiming that Christ is all in all. I pray you would give us grace, uh, that you would show faithful, Father, as you always are, that you would be faithful through us, that we might proclaim your name. It's in his name we pray. Amen.